We will be measuring your daughter for a wheelchair at 3 o'clock this afternoon. That's what the nurse told Sylvia Schroeder. She had befuddled images, she writes, traced villain pages on her mind. She was thinking a bridal shop, a pencil line on the kitchen doorframe, stepping paces at a freezing high school track meet. She says, I treasured these measurements. They marked happy events, achievements, and growth. The last time I'd seen my daughter been measured, it was for her wedding gown, a white bridal gown draped like fairy dust, she writes. She stood in front of an enormous floor-to-ceiling mirror. Her reflection showed arms straight out on both sides. Wisps of sheer white hung loosely from her like pale wings all the way to the floor. The bridal shop assistant mumbled through a line of pins between her lips while she busily gathered the gauzy white into fistfuls. A measuring tape marked the length of her arms, torso, and then circled her slim waist. And then she writes, I never imagined measuring my daughter for a wheelchair. And everything inside me screamed, no. She goes on to write, I never imagined it, nor had I known how measuring for a wheelchair also measures a heart. That year, when our daughter got her first wheelchair, Thanksgiving didn't vanish, but it was at many times a bit anemic. She concludes by saying this, I don't know what your Thanksgiving season looks like. I hope your home fills with joy and laughter. But there are times in every person's life when Thanksgiving is simply an act of trust, when the measure with which we are measured tries our hearts. See, what's the measure of your heart of thanksgiving this morning? How would you finish the sentence that she spoke? I never imagined that, and you fill in the blank. I never imagined being measured for a cast. I never imagined being measured for a casket. And I, I would understand, and I think everyone here this morning would agree with me that We'd much rather get measured for suits and dresses and caps and gowns for weddings and, and graduations. They're happy events. That's what Sylvia says. But in all these events, the ones that we never imagine and the ones that we always want to imagine, they all measure our hearts. See, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 is the biblical measurement of a thankful heart in just one simple sentence. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's God's measurement of a thankful heart. And literally, in the original language, it starts out with the words, in all things. See, it's not just that God is concerned that you and I give thanks but when we are able to do it. 
So it's emphatic in the position. It's not just give thanks. It's in all things. And can I tell you? You already know it. It's the hardest part. It's giving thanks always. That's how it's translated. Giving thanks in everything. See, not some things, not most things, all things. It's not just the what of thanksgiving, it's the when of it. And that's the measure of a thankful heart to God. And that's why Sylvia said when she had her daughter measured for a wheelchair at times, my thanksgiving was a bit anemic. Have any of you had to face those times recently? Ever felt your heart of thanksgiving being a bit anemic, a bit weak, with lacking strength, broken? See, maybe you're here this morning and you can certainly identify with Sylvia because everything inside of you this morning is screaming, no! Because you never imagined that things would pan out and turn out the way that they have. So when you want to scream like that, what do you do? How is it even truthfully and realistically possible that you could respond to circumstances like that with a grateful heart? Well, here's what Daniel's going to teach us in just a short piece of Daniel 6. He's going to tell us this. Having a thankful heart is not based on what is before you, your circumstances, but who is before you, your God. See, so let's unpack Daniel 6. Can we look at those, te- those little texts I, I read a little earlier this morning? And, and let me show you the structure because it's everything. See, there are two little phrases that are repeated throughout this text. The verses I read you and the verses following. And they are contrary to one another. They contrast and they set up the exact kind of thought that the little phrase that Daniel gives thanks. He gave thanks. Why is it significant? How is it significant? And the two little phrases are as follows. The first one is this little phrase, before his God. This is what describes Daniel and his response in the shadow of the lion's den. Before his God, it's in verse 10 and it's in verse 11. And it's at the end of the passage said by, right, the leader Darius of Babylon at that time, The God of Daniel, before his God, verse 10. Before him, verse 22. Before the God of Daniel, verse 26. You see it? Four different times. It puts Daniel and his reputation and his life, everything. He lives his life out before his God. But that's not all of your life, see. There's another part of it. And it's a very similar phrase, which is a small addendum or change. This little phrase is before the king. And it's mentioned in verses 12 and 13. And also Daniel says it once he's released from the lion's den in verse 22. And see, that is our life and that is the tension of giving thanks. We have two aspects of our lives. The lives we live in our circumstances before the king. What's happening around us that changes. And before our God. That's the other part of our life. And that's the part, because God is immutable, that never changes. So I want to tell you and explain to you and unpack for you this morning. See, this is the truth. The only way that you can face what is before you is with who is before you. Daniel 6, 
And I want to unpack them one at a time. So let's look at them. What is before you? You're changing circumstances. Daniel 6 in Hebrew, if you're able to read it, reads like a story with one event after another. You can't always sing it in the English, but let me tell you, the same Hebrew word is repeated 13 times in this chapter, and it's the simple word then. It's a connector. In other words, it's one event after another. Verse 3, 4, 5, 6, and all the way through, not always translated in the English then, but it is. It's one event cascading like a domino effect, one after the other. And here's the first then in Daniel's story in verse 3. It says to us, if you'll read it with me, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was found in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. That is the story of success. That's the first little then. That's the first then in this passage. You see, Daniel was a success story, one that you and I would probably aspire to. He comes to Babylon as a Jewish captive. He's basically a slave. But in a matter of years, he goes from captive to religious and, I should say, political leader. And now he becomes three, the third, three, one of the three top guys in all of Babylon. And here's the thing. The king is thanking him thinking about making him number one, that the only person who will have more authority than Daniel is Darius himself. Now, that is quite a rise to power from someone who's been brought into the country and into the kingdom as a slave. He has become Darius's right-hand man. Now, see, isn't it easy? Won't you agree with me? Isn't it easy, easy when... When you are in control of everything, isn't it easy to give thanks in everything? Right? When you're in control, everything's on the upward climb. You're getting success. You're happy. All the dreams you had, all the things you thought could never happen, and they are happening. I mean, God is pouring out his blessings on Daniel, and I'm thinking he's practically, he is, because we know he is. He's thanking God every day. It says, he didn't just thank God on the lion's den day. He was thanking him three times a day all the time. This is his life. And it had to be simple and easy, wasn't it? I mean, you're at the top of your game. Thank you, God. Thank you that I have a great life. Thank you, God, I live in this house. Thank you, I have, and we have a lot to be thankful for. And all of us, when we're in control and everything's going our way, thank you, God, comes easy and often. But remember, there are 13 thens in this chapter, not one. Because the next one, verse 3 to verse 4, shows a major directional change. Because unbeknown to Daniel, there's a conspiracy because all the guys are jealous of him. See, they want to be Darius' right-hand man. They want to have the success. And they don't like this, can I say it, outsider, this non-Babylonian, can I say it plainly, this Jewish guy having a step up on them. They don't like it. And so they don't like it so much. They know they can't find anything about his character. He's a great worker. His ethics are beyond reproach. They can't discover anything about him they could pin him on. So you know what they know? They have to get something on him about his God. And so they go to the king with this conspiracy, although the king doesn't know that's what it is, and they kind of 
flatter him a little bit. And, hey, king, you're so great. You're probably the best mediator between the gods and us. And in light of how great you are, O king, let's make a law. 30 days. Nobody can pray to anybody but you for 30 days. The king goes, wow, that's probably pretty true. Yeah, let's do it. So he signs it and doesn't know that he also just signed Daniel's death warrant. See, Daniel would never have imagined, to use Sylvia's words, in 6.3, that by the time we got to 6.10, he'd be contemplating his future being short because it'll be cut short in the lion's den. I don't think in 6.3 that he ever thought, you, know, you have to understand, Daniel's 80 years old by now. He's withstood everything for six plus decades in this kingdom. And God has been with him. And now this one, though, this one, I don't think you ever would imagine that all of his years of ministry would end at 80 years old, becoming cat food at the end of his life. But the circumstances before the king, they have changed greatly. And now in verses 12 and 13, he's the outsider. He's the ethnic outsider, the national outsider, the social outsider, the political outsider. In fact, so much so that in Daniel 6, 13, you know how he's described? That Daniel, that guy. He's the one, the one that's not like us. And he's standing out and it's going to cost him now to stand up for God. See, we would say this. He's being measured for the lion's den. But how will his thanksgiving hold up? Everything inside of Daniel is screaming, no. What is before you this morning in this Thanksgiving season? How has your circumstances changed as of late? How have the thens in your story, how they played out? You might say, well, you know, the relationship was going so well. We had been dating seriously for several months, and then it happened. I never really saw it coming. Out of the blue, he broke it off with me. There was never really given a reason for it. But it's over. See, I had this interview and then after the interview, they called me, and then I landed the great job. I mean, this was the job of my dreams. This is the job I've been looking for. I mean, the pay was great, the, the benefits, the hours, even my boss was pretty nice. And everything was going so good this past year. Then the boss said, hey, I'd like to meet with you. Uh-oh. And the uh-oh turned into oh, no. And he told me, I'm sorry, but we're letting you go. You have two weeks. Two weeks? I wasn't ready for two weeks. I have no other job lined up. I have bills to pay. What am I to do? I made an appointment, someone would say, at the doctor's. And, you know, at my age, that's normal because you go to the doctor's, you get an annual checkup, they have things happening. So you go through this battery of tests. Then... They tell you a few days, and we'll send you the results. So I waited, not thinking anything of it, because I'm in good health. I've been in good health for a long time, someone would say. And then they told me, 
And then they told me, hey, don't know if we should be alarmed yet, but there's a spot on your kidney. What? Yeah, there's a spot on your kidney. We're not really sure what it is, so there'll be a couple more tests that we have to run. And then we'll tell you what it is for sure. What do you mean for sure? You think it could be a problem? We'll tell you then. See, measuring for a wheelchair also measures the heart. Measuring for a breakup also measures the heart. Measuring for being laid off also measures the heart. Measuring for a health crisis also measures the heart. See, so does a miscarriage and so does a funeral. And so does a unwanted life of singleness. And they all measure the heart. And that's why Sylvia said, you know, my Thanksgiving, it didn't vanish Although she's probably saying it almost did. Because when your heart is measured in the shadow of the lion's den, it tells everything. So how is your heart this Thanksgiving? Are you measuring up? Is it vanishing? Is it barely there? Is it fairly, if not more, anemic? Say, how, Pastor Walker, how then? How can I have a heart of Thanksgiving that measures up? How can I do that in the face of the lions then? If you really knew what I was going through, if you knew, see, my, certain, my, my future is uncertain. I don't know if this is going to happen. I don't know how it's going to turn out. How can I give thanks? How did Daniel do it? Here's why. Because it was, his life wasn't just about what was before him, but who was before him. And that's why the little phrase before the king is in verses 12 and 13. But to offset that and to counteract that, the opposing phrase before his God is in both verses 10 and 11. Do you see that? This is what's going on before the king, the conspiracy, the signing of the document, all things he had no control over. See, Daniel had lost all of his earthly power. Being up top, being the king's favorite, it was all gone. It vanished in a moment. He didn't have it anymore. See, being before the king, see, that's your life and circumstances, and they change. And how do you handle that? How are you able to give thanks on radically changing, difficult circumstances? You know how you live before the king? You do it by living before your God. Because that never changes. You and I, like Daniel, have to learn that what is before you is not nearly as important as who is before you. And so we read in verse 10 and 11. Can we do it again? When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times and prayed and gave thanks, phrase, before his God. He knew what was going on before the king. But he needed to know what was going on before his God even more. Verse 11 Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea. See, there it is again, before his God. I find it to be remarkable. You know why? Because in verse 10 it says, And when he knew it was signed, 
The word when in Hebrew means as soon as. Listen, this is so crucial. Hear me. This is what it, I want to show you. This is what it looks like when you have Daniel's heart of thanksgiving. It says, as soon as he heard it was signed. Like if you don't, if you pray to someone else for 30 days, you are going to the lion's den. He knew it as soon as he did. Here's what he did. He went home, it says. He didn't run away. He didn't hide. He didn't hesitate. He didn't have to think about it. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a few chapters earlier. They're going to go to the fiery furnace and say, they say, King, we don't have to think about it. You don't have to give us a second chance. We heard you the first time. They're not being cocky. They're being honest. It's already settled in their mind. Can I tell you this? You will never give thanks to God in the shadow of the lion's den, if you haven't been giving him thanks for everything good and bad in your life all the way up into the lion's den. So when he, when he knew the document, had he knew what was at stake. He knew what it would cost him to give thanks to God. He went home and he went into his upper room. Houses were built, if you had a good one, they had a flat surface on the top of the roof. They weren't curved like ours. And the rain drained a different way. And you had a stairway leading outside of the house on the side. Stairways going up. And it, was go up, it would be a room you'd have up there for yourselves or if you had extra visitors. And it was a flat roof. And you went up there. And it was private, but yet at the same time it was public. Daniel had gone up there every day to pray. And he wasn't changing a thing. Everything around him was changing, but he would not change. That's how you give thanks. So he goes up there, listen, he goes up there, he's not a secret Christian. There is no recorded speech he gives. He doesn't have, according to the Bible, there is no inner turmoil. Rather, there's unflinching obedience. There's no doubt in his mind what he's going to do, and he's not worried about it. He doesn't go up on the top of his roof and get down on his knees and say, well, you know, this time, just this one only, I'm going to pray to Darius on my knees, and I'll pray loud enough so everybody who's watching me will hear it. He doesn't do any of those things. He gets up on that roof, and he gets on his knees, and he prays to Yahweh, who is before him. See, three times a day, Psalm 55, 16, and 17 says, Three times a day I will lift up my voice to you and pray. He knew what the Bible says. He knew what he ought to do. He knew how it was, what was right to do when he lived in Babylon, and he did it. And he had been doing it because it said he did it as he had done it previously. He lived his life before his God, and that never changed even in the face of the lion's den, because what was before him could never rival or overpower who was before him. And so the Bible says he's got a little enclosed area up there, and it's probably a piece, not a window like we would have, but wooden lattice, and the lattice is open because you need air in a hot climate. So he's got this window, and it's open, and he opens it toward Jerusalem. Now listen, I'm telling you how great his faith was and how remarkable it is. You know why? Because his windows are open toward Jerusalem. That is exactly what King Solomon said in 1 Kings 8, that if you're not in the country, and the reason that you're in exile is because you have sinned, you open your windows 
You pray toward Jerusalem and I'll hear you. And Daniel believed his God. Now, you know how hard it was? Listen. He opened his windows toward Jerusalem and Jerusalem had been burned down. The temple that Solomon said you pray to, it was gone. The Babylonians had come in earlier, many, many, many years earlier, and destroyed it, and it had never been rebuilt. And everybody in the world other than Daniel thought, when you're God, you lose. Your God is a loser. Not Daniel. He's praying to God in Jerusalem where the city is destroyed, the walls have been destroyed, the temple has been destroyed, and it looks like what kind of God is Daniel's God? Can he really help? You know what Daniel thinks? Despite how everything looks, back there and in here, absolutely. That's the kind of faith. That's why it's remarkable. He gives thanks to God because he still believes, despite how everything looks, that God keeps his word and he's going to restore his people and he's going to rebuild Jerusalem and give them another temple and he's going to change everything no matter how it looks. So that's why, in the face of imminent death, torturous death, that he can get on his knees and this simple phrase can hit us like a ton of bricks. And he gave thanks before his God. It is nothing short of God's power. But the question for us this morning is this. How much time in your prayers... And your difficult circumstances are consumed with this phrase, give me. Give me money, God. I really need it. God, give me happiness. Give me safety. Give me health. Give me a better job. Give me, and you fill in the blank. See, if we don't live our lives constantly before God... We will panic and we will go to God and the first thing on our mind is, God, give me this, give me this. It won't be give thanks, it will be give me. Not Daniel. It wasn't the first thing out of his mouth. Did you know? You know, the Bible doesn't record exactly everything or hardly anything he said in his prayers. But there are two things that are given out. The Bible says that, first of all, he gave thanks before his God. That, listen, it's crucial that you get the order. He did not start with, by the way, in verse 11, when they finally actually hear him praying, here's what they get from him. This is their version. He made petition and he pled with his God. So he is asking God to intervene. He's asking God to do something. He does pray that. But hear me, this is what a giving, a heart of thanksgiving does. It doesn't ask for what God can do first. He doesn't ask for deliverance first. You know what he does? He, give th- he gives thanks first. He gives thanks. But why? Because he knows who God is. But listen what he knows. God could have delivered him from the lion's den. Right? He could. He knows who his God is. And he knows the Bible stories. He knows them. He knows that God can deliver him from the lion's den. But he may not. And so knowing that, he begins to believe, perhaps God will deliver me through the lion's den. And he's looking saying, hey, I'd rather have this one. 
but maybe you're more glorified in this one. And here's what his conclusion is. No matter which one it is, I choose to give you thanks. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. How much do you do in your prayers? How much do you thank him? Do you rush right into what you need? God, give me this. God, I have to have this. you got to do this. And here's the time period. Or do you stop and say, God, listen, whether you ever do those things or not, I want you to know I still give you thanks. Not just because of what you can do or what you will do, but because of who you are. See, that is the measure, isn't it? That's the measure of a heart of thanksgiving. It's easy when success is there to give thanks. It's easy when God delivers you from your lion's dens. Oh, but what happens when he doesn't? What happens when things that you never imagined do happen? What happens when you are measured? Or you have to measure for things you never dreamed would ever take place? Is the first thing that happens, you get on your knees and say, God, I give you thanks. I give you thanks for your forgiveness, your faithfulness, your mercy, your patience, your long-suffering, the goodness that I don't deserve. God, I give you thanks. Why did God do that? Why, God, why didn't God? Why wasn't there a then that said, and God solved all the problems, and he was not even thrown in the lion's den? Can I tell you honestly, God is not committed to your comfort as much as he is your character. God is not committed to your happiness as much as he is your holiness. See, will you give thanks to God? Will you trust him when you can't trace him? Will you give him gratitude when he gives you grief? He wants to know. And he doesn't just want to know from your lips. He wants to know from your life. So eventually Daniel does ask him in verse 11. He is before his God and he pleads with God to do something. And God does. But it's second because Daniel has a heart of thanksgiving. Because what is before him is nothing compared to what who is before him. Is that the pattern of your life? Is that how you face your lion's dens? But perhaps this morning, if you're here, this seems all a little bit far-fetched. Who can really be like that, Pastor Walker? I mean, come on, seriously? How can you, how can you even talk this way? I don't know of anybody. You see, and I understand that. Because you can only give thanks in the shadow of your lion's den if the ultimate lion's den has been taken care of, correct? See, Daniel could give thanks in the face of the lion's den because the ultimate lion had already been conquered. See, he knew Christ. He knew Christ. And it made all the difference and his gratitude and the way he faced his lion's den. But see, you may be in a lion's den this morning and you don't have that confidence. And you say, that, that's crazy. Nobody can really... And I understand why you think that way. Because for you, there's lion's dens, the ultimate lion's den, and the ultimate lion. They're still hanging out there. See, you haven't conquered your sin or Satan or any of those things yet. And for you, you may not even grasp it. But there's greater lions than you face, even the ones you face this morning. B.C. for Daniel, 
there was another man with him in there. The Bible says the Lord sent his angel, his messenger. And like the fiery furnace, I think it's a Christophany. I think it's Jesus. And there in the middle of his lion's den, Jesus stood with him. You know, it's a beautiful passage. Don't have time to read it. Read the end of 2 Timothy sometime. God, Paul was being tried for his life. Literally, he would be executed. And he said all of his friends had forsaken him. But he says, but when I stood in front of the lion, that God, through Jesus, delivered me from the lions, and he will deliver me from them. You know how Paul could face his lion's den being executed by Nero? Because the ultimate lion, sin and death, had already been conquered And he knew that Jesus would be with him. And Daniel had that same confidence. Do you? Do you have that confidence? Has there ever been a time in your life where you said, you know what, I recognize I'm a sinner and I need a savior and Jesus is my only hope. See, I don't want to, see, he's not the one who's before me. I don't face the lion's den knowing he's with me. Because right now I face them alone, and I'll have to be honest, it's terrifying. And it would be, because if you read the story, all the people who falsely accused Daniel, once he was delivered by God, they were thrown in the lion. The lions then had two entries. One was a ramp to lead the lions up and down, and the other one was a hole that you were dropped through on a rope like Daniel was first time around. These people were dropped down the road, and the Bible says the lions devoured them before they ever hit the floor. See, Daniel had confidence because the ultimate lions had been taken care of in his life. You'll never be able to understand how anyone could give thanks to that degree in that place unless you know the ultimate lion tamer in Jesus Christ. If you don't, you can. You can put your faith and trust that he died for you on that cross and rose again so that all your lions could be slain so that you could face any lion's den and still give thanks. Let's pray. Everything inside of me screams no. Maybe you sit here this morning and that's your story too. Never thought I'd measure for this. Maybe you wouldn't have said it that way, but in your own words, it's still true. Do you have a heart of thanksgiving like Daniel? How is your heart measured this morning? Pastor Walker, you're right. I I don't have that kind of heart. I'm really more interested in what God can do to get me out of it or keep me from it. But I know and realize that God sometimes works through lion's dens as well. And as a Christian and someone who knows and follows Jesus with thanksgiving on our doorstep, I want to have a different kind of heart. I don't want to see God as utilitarian. In other words, he's just there to do what I want him to do. But he's there because it's who he is. He's God. He deserves my thanksgiving no matter how things turn out. See, a heart of thanksgiving doesn't give thanks based on knowing the outcome and the conclusions in advance. It gives thanks because we know he's worthy no matter what the outcome or conclusion is in advance. 
as a Christian this morning, you say, Pastor Walker, I need that kind of a heart of thanksgiving. Please pray for me that I would learn to respond like that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just lift your hand and I'll pray for you in just a moment as I close. Thank you. Thank you. Other hands, thank you. Perhaps you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Walker, I can't imagine giving things like that in, my, in the shadow of my lion's den. Because I don't know, I, I think if I went to the lion's den, quote unquote, I'd be by myself. Because I don't, I don't know God through Jesus Christ. I've never called on him to be my savior. I've never invited him into my life. See, I think I can handle it because I'm in control, but I'm not. But I need to give him control. That he would be my Lord and my savior. I've never come to that place. But I don't want to face lion's dens or anything in life, especially eternity alone. I need him. Pastor Walker, pray for me that I'd have the humility to seek him out and live a life of thanks to him by living for his glory. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that is your heart this morning and your desire, would you just raise your hand and I'll pray for you as well as we close here in just a few moments. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Would you stand to your feet with me? We're going to close in prayer. And then afterwards, we're going to sing, Give thanks with a grateful heart. Father, I'm reminded this morning that in the shadow of his lion's den, the cross, the night before Jesus took the Passover meal, and the Bible records that he gave thanks. You not only came in our lion's den, but you took our lion's den. Blessed be your name. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. I pray for those who raise their hand as Christians and as those who are not Christians, but since this morning through your spirit word a need for Jesus in their lives as their Lord and Savior, Please, in both instances, would you work to give us a new heart, a thankful heart, a heart that honors you and that we can face what is before us because of who is before us. Help us, O oh Lord, we ask in your name as we give thanks. Amen.